0: Matthew chapter 1 starting with verse 18 Matthew 1:18 Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit And her husband Joseph When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond our thoughts, our familiarities, my thoughts our opinions. Jesus, you are God. And you are man. And you're pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our, our Emmanuel, our God that's with us in the middle of our uh, pain, in the middle of our frustrations, our distractions, our busyness, our enmity with one another and with you, you're, you're with us to save us. Rescue us from our best effort at doing Sunday good and doing Christmas good and well. Help us to share in the joy of your throne, your joy, your holiness. Amen. Amen. Well, Welcome to the Springs. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Peter. Thank you for joining us. I serve as the lead pastor of our church. And today I carry on with week three of our Hark series. We are uh, taking a break today from Luke and we're going to Matthew. Uh, we have been mostly in Luke, but now in Matthew as well. We are seeing the first few uh, characters who encountered the plan of God Leading up to and surrounding the circumstances and how God interacted with them during the first Noel, the first Christmas. Today, we're going to talk a lot about Joseph and this promise that God made to him. I made a mistake in my uh, uh, my growth group this week. I promised that we're going to talk about the OG Joseph, the original gangster, but I was mistaken because there's a Joseph in Genesis. Like, man, I need to read my Bible next year. New Year's resolutions. Uh, Sometimes pastors can be mistaken. But we're talking about the New Testament oldest Joseph. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to slow it down. We are taught to read fast so often. But we miss so much when we read too fast. I have always had a gift for reading very slowly. What I want to do is to slow it down. We're going to go verse by verse through our passage, and we're really going to see the weight of the emotion on Joseph. By the time we get to the end of our passage, we're going to be left by God's Word with one huge thing we need to know and one very clear thing that we need to do. So here we go. Uh, Let's go to the start of our passage. Joseph is called a just man in verse 19. But let's go back up one verse, see if we can get some context for why the Bible calls him, why Matthew calls him a just man. Verse 18 starts like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I think that's alluding to the fact that, okay, this is a little bit of a different way. This is strange. Don't get used to the story of God and his redemption plan for your life. Let it not be familiar to you. It took place in this sort of way. When his mother, Jesus' mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now let's stop there. We have to talk about betrothal a little bit. Uh, Raise your hand if you use the word betrothed today so far. Okay. No one else. We need to get some context. Uh, And fair warning, we're going to talk just a little bit about sex and commitment right now. It's important contextually to understand what this word betrothed means. Betrothal uh, can be compared to engagement, but it's so different than the way we in our culture understand engagement. Uh, In fact, in verse 19... And again, in verse 24, uh, Mary and Joseph respectively are called wife and husband, even before technically they're married because betrothal had such a weight of commitment. Uh, it's, it's a legal agreement is what betrothal is specifically, that it's not just engagement Uh, it's an actual legal agreement to soon get married. In fact, if you were to break off a betrothal in ancient Jewish culture, you actually had to go through legal proceedings to do so. So it's a serious commitment. But let's compare the way they did uh, commitment to marriage and then the actual marriage. Let's compare it to how we do things a little bit. With our engagements... What we tend to lack in commitment, we make up for in sexual permissiveness. And for good measure, we add a little bit of social media frenzy to it, right? Because if we're not going to be really committed, but at least we can be, you know, have a campaign about it and maybe a hashtag. We have all sorts of things that we go extra in, but not in commitment all the time. They were very serious about this. Were they Were the ancient Jews, they they refused not to have sex. It says he knew her not until after the birth of the child and after they were actually married. Were they prudish? Did the men back then have a different kind of hormonal makeup than the men now? Were they restrictive? Were they regressive? With this whole tradition, this strange thing like... Super-duper committed, but not touching each other. Like, what, what was their deal? I mean, clearly they weren't as evolved and progressed as us, so what was their problem? You can sense the sarcasm here. It's a little quieter than I anticipated. This is a talk-back church, okay? So don't make me even more insecure than I already am. Why? Why did they behave this way? We behave the way... We behave. We need to ask: Is the way we've adjusted things working out for us? Um, Has has opening the bounds of freedoms caused men, for instance, to be satisfied with all the things that we permit to the degree that we don't any longer push the lines? I mean, have you been paying attention to the news? And I want to just clarify, all the bad stories of men coming out, I, I heard an article about the, uh, the, um, the ocean levels are rising because of the sweat of all the nervous men in the world that are waiting to be outed with their pervertedness. Is, is these, are these stories just men in Hollywood and, and out there? It's just a few men in Congress in Hollywood? No. It's all of us, men and women, when we're not bound by and protected by a higher order, a transcendent calling that's bigger than what I think about the world and my body. That's bigger than me. It's bigger than my lifestyle. It's bigger than how I define myself and what I prefer. There's something bigger that was was directing Joseph. It was directing the way that he committed to this woman, which makes the very next verse, uh, sex and commitment talk done. You can take a deep breath now. Stop being so quiet. Which makes it what, what follows these words about betrothal punch all the more. She was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, I think the context of this passage shows that there's a distinction between her being found to be with child and the fact that that was from the Holy Spirit. Meaning, she was found to be with child, and I think Matthew adds, but it was from the Holy Spirit, because clearly Joseph didn't see that that which he found her to be pregnant was something of God, and no one else saw it. She was clearly pregnant. Uh, We don't know if if she was like in her second trimester, uh, like, man, something's a little off with you, like there's something a little different, or if it was like full on third trimester, like that bump on you, that's not just Torchy's Tacos type thing, you know? We don't know how obvious it is. It was clearly at least four months, probably, because she was, we know from Luke that she had been uh, with her cousin Elizabeth for at least three months, but she was clearly pregnant and there was no hiding it. And she was betrothed to Joseph. Maybe everyone else thought, man, they're, they've crossed the line. Joseph knew. I've been preserving myself for her. And she's pregnant. I wonder what he felt. I wonder what you would feel. How would you feel if you were Joseph? You'd probably feel betrayed. Have you ever felt betrayal? Betrayal? Someone promises you something and it just goes so differently than what you expected and how your life you thought was going to go. He probably felt betrayed. He probably felt disillusioned. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, he definitely felt confused and stressed. Confusion is the worst kind of pain. He felt this way. I mean, I wonder if he felt vindictive, like, she's done this to me, so enough with her. I often feel like that. But but there's no indication, based on Joseph's following actions, that any of that was in him. Because as it goes on, her husband, Joseph, verse 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved, To divorce her quietly. Uh, The the King James Version shows a little bit more uh, literally the first part of this verse 19. Uh, Instead of saying unwilling to put her to shame, the King James says unwilling to expose her to uh, being a public example. Public example. What, What does it mean, public example? Well, we know from all this here that if a woman is caught in adultery or a man is caught in adultery and they've done wrong before God, that there is a severe kind of punishment that would have put Mary's life in severe danger. It was right and just for someone who breaks a betrothal, which is a sacred thing, to be severely punished. Because in a society that they don't treat it seriously, the severity haunts you on the back end, like our society. They treated this severely, and he didn't want her to be a public example. He didn't want her to be harmed. Think about this. He was unwilling to forsake the one who had just, for all he knew, forsaken him. She had just felt betrayal, and he is feeling this betrayal, and quietly he he says, "I, I, I need to quietly deal with this because I'm so overwhelmed with hurt and confusion, but I don't want harm for this person who's just harmed me. You can start to see a little bit why the Bible calls this man a just man. Verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let's stop there for a second. How, how many of y'all consider things lucidly in your sleep? Okay, I don't. If that's you, I'd, that's extra smart. Typically, sleeping is not a time where you consider things. So when it says, as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream the only conclusion I can draw from this when I slow down a little bit is that his considering process was multiple days. Compare that man to me. When I am hurt, when I am betrayed, I don't wait a few days and sit on it and consider things. I need to pray a lot more than I do. Usually I do something stupid the first day. The first hour, this man's considering things for multiple days. He had resolved with one thing, but he was, even the thing that he had resolved to do, he was waiting on. Man, if we could just be a little bit more like that, right? Not deciding to say something dumb and making a bad situation worse. Not posting some passive-aggressive thing. If you do that on Facebook, you need to stop it. It's awkward. Everyone else knows who you're posting about. Okay? (laughs) Okay. He didn't do any of these things. He's just waiting. And the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. First of all, the angel saying, look, I know this is strange. This is like unlike anything you've ever heard unless you slow down and read the prophets. This is unlike anything anyone would ever expect, and specifically, totally unlike anything you would ever think in your life. But it's from me. It's okay. And furthermore, when he, the angel addresses him, it says, he says, Joseph, son of David. Now, if you rewind a little bit, we, we actually know the lineage of Joseph. Joseph's dad is not named David. Joseph's dad's named Jacob. So why would the angel of the Lord say, Joseph, son of David? Well, in my opinion, the angel of the Lord is saying, look, you might feel like you're outside of God's plan. You might feel like you're on the side of whatever God seems to maybe or maybe not be speaking to her. But you need to know that you're not a bystander You need to know. I'm drawing my lineage. It says says in Matthew, it draws the lineage of King David, the promised one, the Messiah would come from the lineage of the great King David. And in Matthew, it draws the lineage all the way down through uh, Joseph. And Luke draws the lineage through Mary. So both were in the lineage of the great King David to fulfill the word of the Lord about the coming Messiah. And the angel of the Lord is saying, Matthew. You are a part of God's plan here. You're not an extra in what God is doing here. You're going to suffer a lot of misunderstanding in the coming years. And I want you to know that you, thou son of David, you are someone I'm using, so you need to obey. You're not on the sidelines. You're in the middle of this game and I'm working with you. I'm with you. In fact, it says in verse 21, you will name him. Jesus, you will name him. He could have easily felt like he was on the sidelines. I, I want to take a break for a second. And let's just stop and consider the fact that this just man, he did the best he could do. The Bible calls him just It's strange that the Bible calls him just for resolving to do something that was not good, right? Like if he would have divorced this woman and left the the mother of our Savior alone and abandoned, we can all agree that's not a good thing to resolve to do. And yet the crazy thing is it's the best that we can do without God helping us. He resolved to do the most honorable thing he knew how to do and it still wasn't good enough. This sermon's not over, so don't get too depressed. But we need to sit on the weight of this for a second. Sometimes your best effort, in fact, all the time, your best effort is flat out not good enough your best effort, you can be the most just you've ever been, the kindest to people who sin against you, and yet you can still be totally misunderstood about what God's doing, about how God's going to use your pain for something later, and not just something uh, to restore you back to what you had hoped, but something that is the hope of nations, that God wants to use your small problem for a huge plan. And we get way too obsessed with ourselves and our pain and our struggles. And God's saying, your efforts to fix those little things will never be good enough. Even Joseph, a just man, his best efforts We're not good enough. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none good. No, not one, the Bible says. All your righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. So what do you do with this? That's what makes what the angel says to Joseph All the more alarming. He's going to give two names for this promised Messiah. That in the midst of this problem, this Joseph has done the best a good guy can do. I'm nowhere near as good of a guy as Joseph. So what's the hope for me? I hope that's what you're asking. Because there's an answer to that question if your heart's truly asking it. The names given, there's two names given in tandem. If you read too fast, it can seem like they're two separate kind of competing names. But if you slow down, I think you'll see that God has intended for the harmony of his saving attributes to be shown through the two different names that are given for our Savior through this angel to Joseph. Verse 21, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from the enemy. Who's that? From their sins. All this took place to fulfill the prophet, what the prophet had spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus, God saves. And Emmanuel, God is with us. First of all, Jesus specifically means, in the derivative, God saves. Well, saves from what? Uh, Saves from our enemy? Saves from Rome? Uh, These people had suffered over a century of of oppression by an evil nation. Is this... They were expecting a Messiah to save them and many, many, many people, most in fact, thought that the Messiah was to rescue them from another enemy. Well, who does the Messiah save from? This name, Jesus, or Yeshua, Yeshua. Who does he save from? What does he save from? Is it it from the political systems of the world? Is Is it the devil that he saves us from? What does he save from? Well, what's great is, It answers that in the text, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the one thing that you need to know today. We're going to have it up on the screen. The one thing you need to know is that our Redeemer, Jesus, is with us in order to save us from ourselves. He is Emmanuel, he, meaning he's with us. What other God is with us in our pain, with us in our confusion, with us in our betrayal? If you know anything about the, what, what happens after Matthew 1. What, what other God is with us in the worst of our stuff, and yet saves us from the great enemy, which is ourselves? We are the great enemy. We sin against God, and he comes and draws near to us to save us from us. Something we should never get used to. In fact, contrast the way Joseph handled his circumstances with what Jesus is coming to do. Joseph felt betrayed by Mary, right? And so he resolved quietly to draw away from her. And, and, and the, that was the best he could do. He was just in thinking that this is my only option. So think about this. He actually had no substantive reason to think that Mary had betrayed him. He was mistaken in that. So here you have a man drawing away from someone who actually hadn't betrayed him, but it was the best he could do, and you and I wouldn't do any better. That's Joseph. Thought he was betrayed, draws away. Jesus, he actually is betrayed by you and me. Our selfishness, our sin, Our unforgiveness, the family members that we dread to see at the holidays, that it's hard to bless them because we don't have the capacity to do so, and so we spread and and multiply the enmity and the pain. We sin against them. We sin against God. We betray God. We are betrayers. And Jesus has just reason to pull away from us. And what does he do? He draws near to be god with us and he draws near to us to save us from ourselves don't miss the harmony of this amazing and majestic truth God draws near to us in the incarnation this Christmas don't let don't forget this he draws near to us to save us from ourselves So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, let's read the last two verses. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. He didn't lay with her until she had given birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus, Yeshua, Joseph took a long time to contemplate what he was going to do before God spoke to him. But when God spoke to him, he moved quickly. He obeyed. What can you do this break? Listen and obey. That's the one thing The thing we are to know is that God draws near to us so that he can save us from ourselves. The thing that you need to do, obey. Joseph believed what God had spoken through the angel. And how do you know he believed? He obeyed. Without works, your faith is dead, the Bible says. He had faith And therefore, he obeyed. What is God speaking to you this break? What is the unexpected thing he is doing in your life that you just didn't think it was going to go like this when you're making New Year's resolutions this year? You just didn't think your life was going to be going like this. But God's saying, you know what? This might be unexpected to you. But I draw near to you in the midst of your place of discouragement and your and your unexpected confusions and all that stuff, I draw near to that place and I speak and God's saying, all I'm wanting from you is faith. And the faith is manifest through very, very simple, very, very quick obedience. It was Jesus' obedience. He went to the cross. He suffered for our sin. He paid the penalty for our betrayal. The person who betrayed no one died for the betrayers. God caused him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. What a strange way to save the world. And when God says, I'm applying that that amazing truth to this difficult situation in your life, here's what you need to know. Your answer is, okay, I'll listen and I'll obey. Would you pray with me?